Good morning, family. My name's Charlsey. Uh, usually you can find me back uh, working with our kids and kids ministry, but today I get the privilege of sharing scripture with you. So if you'd like to follow on, today's reading is going to come from Ephesians 1.18, and we'll go through 2.7. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Charlesy, thank you. So um, I realized in my excitement earlier, I did introduce myself. Um, my name is Joe. I am, thank you. That's why I bring Kyle along to things, because that's what happens. Um, no, um, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. It, it is my privilege to, to occasionally get up here and share with you all about the Jesus that I love. And, and today, I'm, I'm really excited about sharing with you about something that God has, laid on, has been teaching me through the years and really taught me through an interesting season in my life. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to take a moment and just, um, and just pray. So I want to take a moment, pray for you guys, and pray for the day. <clears throat> and, then, um, and then we'll kick things off. So Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely humbled to be able to today get to share your word. I, I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that earlier we got to celebrate new life in you, and, and, I, and I'm humbled by the fact that you continue to, to use each and every one of us who are here in this room that call upon your name. And, and Lord, I pray today that as we, as we dig into your word, that the noise of the world, that it, that it just goes by the wayside for a moment, that whatever happens to be going on in, the, in our world around us, that it, that it becomes secondary, and that in this moment that you become primary. And, and so, Jesus, I, I give you this time. I pray that it glorifies you. In your name I pray, amen. So welcome to week two of RVs. You know, last week, last week Caleb did an incredible job of sharing with us a little bit about how, about how we can, we, God gives us, God gives us faculties. He gives us, um, he gives us emotion. He gives us senses. He gives us many different things that help us enjoy his presence. 
And, and today I'm going to talk about something that's near and dear to me. And, and, but to, to get there, I want to I tell you a little story. You know, every year when it comes near the end of my year, I, I start asking God about what is it that you want for me this next year? What do you want me to focus on? What's, what's my, what, what's my, you know, is there something new that you want to teach me? Something old that you want to remind me of? Something that, you, that I've been neglecting to engage in that, that you, you want me to re-engage with? And, you know, it's been a variety of things over the years. It's, it's anything from, anything from, um, the times where he said, hey, I want you to work on intentionality with your time. If anybody who knows me knows I normally spin, I, I got about 47 plates spinning and I'm just trying not to let them fall. That doesn't work real well. Um, and God said, hey, you can honor me by being intentional with your time and removing some of these things that you don't necessarily need so we can focus and we can be intentional. Another year, it was about contentment in my circumstances, and, and little did I know that as he was talking with me about this, we were about to enter probably the roughest year of our, of our uh, Belinda and I were about to enter the roughest year of our lives together. And so God was teaching me about contentment to prepare me for something that was about to happen. But then there was this year, not this year, but a, a year in the past, there was this one year where God asked me to do something, and I got to be really honest, I don't think, I, I was not on board I was not on board. See, Belinda and I were in the, uh, we, were, we were in the throes of digging ourselves out of a debt hole that we had put ourselves in. I was doing the Dave Ramsey thing, you know, you work to get your snowball going and you do all those things. Well, to do that, I was working two full-time jobs and a part-time job. I was working sometimes 100 to 110, 115 hours a week. Belinda was doing the hard work of raising, of raising our kids while I was at work and then while I was attempting to sleep. Um... And we were working hard. Life was busy. And God goes, Joe, it's time to rediscover rest. Now, I'm working 110, 100, somewhere between 100 and 120 hours a week, most weeks. Rest was something I wanted, but not something I thought I had the permission to engage in. And so I fought against this for a little while. And I had a dear friend who came and he said, okay, Joe, he goes, I know what God's, he says, you've told me what God is engaging in you and I don't see anything changing. He goes, I got a challenge for you. He goes, it's time for you to stop thinking about yourself and it's time for you to be obedient. He goes, but I'm not asking you to do this by yourself because I'm going to do it with you. Because I'm going to walk with you through the difficulty of what this looks like. And I said, well, man, what does rediscovering rest look like? He goes, well, I have no idea. That wasn't helpful. Um, he goes, but God does. And we're going to trust him in the process and we're going to do this together. Now, over that year, I still, for the entirety of the year, worked two full-time jobs and a part-time job. 52 weeks out of that 52-week year, I worked that much. But... I learned some things that helped me in the middle of that find replenishment, find re-energizing, being re-energized. I found a way to be recreated in the middle of this. Where, truthfully, God recreated me in the middle of this. And I believe, guys, that what that did is it also, not only did, it, did, it, did I find recreation, but I also found a really good story to tell. And I like to tell a story. You see... I also found that our, teach, our series big idea for this series is incredibly true, is that Jesus recreates us 
not for us, but so that we can live to glorify him. Jesus recreates us so that we live to glorify God. And I think it's important for us to understand what it means to glorify God. See, the original, word, the original, the original translation loosely translates. And it, a lot of times there's words in Hebrew that don't translate exactly into English. So this is, a, this is, the, this is the idea. So the idea of the original word of glorify is to, is to let the light of the perfection of God shine. So let's look at this in the realm of this teaching big idea. Jesus recreates us so we can let the light of the perfection of God shine through our lives. There's some weight to that. But that's what it means to glorify God. It, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what, what people see when they look at me. And what they experience when they encounter me. Do they experience Joe? Because that's not so great. Or do they experience Jesus? See, when we, so this is what this is all about. We are recreated so that we can live a life that glorifies God. You know, I told you that you know, Caleb did a great job in week one. And this week, we're talking about rest. And rest is something that in our day and age is hard. But one of the things that I learned during my year of rediscovering rest was what Sabbath, that's that biblical term for rest, what that is all about. You see, Sabbath in the Old Testament was and is today still and will continue to be a time that is set aside to commune with God. But there's something more that shows up. Now, you can see it through the pages of the Old Testament, but it's spelled out really well in the New Testament. That what happens in the New Testament, the Sabbath moves from being just a set-aside time to being a state of being where we have the ability and the opportunity to constantly step into the rest of God. And truthfully, that's where I found replenishment during my year of rediscovering rest. You see, Sabbath, the rest of the Lord, is something that we were created for. But it's something that mankind messed up. You see, we were created to live from a place of resting in the Lord. Our sin has caused that to seem unnatural. We were created to, to live from a place where we were constantly resting in the Lord and that gave us the power to move forward into our day because we never were apart from Him. And then sin entered and it's caused that moment to seem unnatural. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they walked in the garden with the Lord. But then the enemy showed up and they, be, they believed some lies. They believed some lies and it became unnatural. And we get to see what that unnatural looks like in Genesis 3 and how sin messed this up. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 6, says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. 
You see, they moved from a place of it being natural to walk in the presence of the, of, of the Almighty to a place where it was broken beyond all human repair. And see, mankind, we were given a perfect gift, life in communion with God. And because we believed the lies of the enemy, that perfect communion has been broken. None of us have the power to fix it. But I, I'm sitting here, I want you to hear, I believe that the, the, the lies of the enemy that Adam and Eve bought into, so do we. That we still buy into these lies. There are still lies from the enemy that we buy into that keep us from re-entering a rest that is offered to us. And, and before we, and I want to explain, and I want to unpack these lies just a little bit, but I want to do something first. Like I said, listen, we have been given the answer to the lies of the enemy. When Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the enemy, his answer was found in these pages. And the answer to every lie from the enemy is found right here. There is no other place for which we have the power to stand than than to stand armed with the sword of the Spirit. And so as we do these, as we wrestle with these lies, I want to also be able to introduce you to what is the answer to each one of them so that as we move forward, not only, because the enemy's not going to stop lying to us, and believe me, some of the lies sound really good. We will have the answer to those in the moment to where he will flee. So the first lie that I believe that we fall into the trap of, and truthfully, in the American culture, I believe that it is I think it is very prevalent. It's predominant in our culture. It's that we are what we have. We are what we have. It's about misplaced identity. We live in the day and age of bigger, faster, more and more and more. You know, the more we have, the bigger stuff we have, the titles we attain, the stuff we have can begin to define us. The enemy knows this. And can repeatedly and often easily distract us from our true identity and away from what truly matters. See, but we can fight this lie with, math, with, the, with, the, with the gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse six, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, where it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when we focus, when we focus on earthly things, our heart will be on the temporary. But when we focus on not, not only not, on, on things of eternity, things that have been done for us that we could never do for ourselves, gifts that have been given that we, ne- we did not merit and we never will, but we've been given nonetheless, then our heart can be on things that are eternal. So I believe that the first lie of the enemy is that we are what we have. And he messes with, who, with our identity. The second one is we are valuable because of what we do. It's about our misplaced value. You see, when, when, when what we do becomes our value driver, when what we do, when the titles that we have, when the ranks that we have, when the good things that we do that, that 
make us feel good about ourselves rather than keeping us focusing on Christ, when those things become our value driver, it's easy to become discouraged. But it also makes it even more difficult to accept the free gift of grace from God because we will feel that we need to earn it. And the answer to this is found in Ephesians chapter 2. So when the enemy comes in and says, hey, 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 you're going you're, you're gonna to be more valuable if you get that next promotion, or you're going to be more valuable if you do this one more good thing over here. No, no, no. See, see, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the lies of the enemy lead us to misplacing our identity, to have a misplaced identity, and also having a misplaced value in our world. But the last one, and I've got to be really honest, this one's got my name all over it. I mean, if we're just being honest, this one's got my name all over it. It's that you need to be in control. See, guys, it's about misplaced trust. It's about being in control of every situation, of every moment, of every conversation. It's about being in control of decisions and outcomes. When truthfully, this idea of misplaced trust, it can show up in a variety of ways. It can show up in micromanagement. It can show up in an overbearing way of communicating with other people. It can, it can show up by being unwilling to just sit and let things be. It can show up in, in working too much. It can show up in anxiety and worry. See, all of these are symptoms of us placing ourselves on a throne of trust that does not belong to us, but belongs to the one who we can totally depend upon. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, gave us the answer to this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You see, we, be, we can buy into these lies and all of us have the opportunity, have, all of us at times have bought into a lie from the enemy that says, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it does say, we are what we have. Maybe it does say we're worth more if we do more. Or maybe it says, hey, you need to be in control of the situation. But the truth of the matter is, is while all those things on the surface don't sound so bad, they are things that keep us from being able to engage and enter the rest that God provides and only he can. So over the course of the next few minutes, I want, to take a, I want to take some time here and answer a few questions. I want to answer some questions like, like, why can we Sabbath? Why can we rest in the Lord? Why do we? How do we do this? And what happens when we do? And so when you take some time, I want you to dig in here because, listen, we're going to start. This is hard work, friends. But it begins with hard work that was not done by us. It, was, it begins with hard work that's done for us. You see, why can we enter Sabbath rest? We can rest in the Lord because of his resurrection. We can rest in the Lord because the God who was at the beginning of all and will be at the end of all sent his son to live the perfect life, die a death on my behalf, 
be in the grave for three days and raise again to tell, the, to tell sin, death, and the grave they have no power any longer. We can rest in the Lord because of the power of the resurrection. I love this, what Paul says in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 19, it says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. For The apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, he says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. He has recreated us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My friends, this is, I, I want to pause here for just a second because we talked earlier that, this, that, that there was a bridge, there was a communion that was broken by sin. The opportunity for the bridge, the bridge has been rebuilt by the resurrection of the king. There is no other way. There is no other way that we could have ever earned. There is no other way that we could merit. There is no other way that this bridge could be rebuilt than by the perfect sacrifice of the perfect savior for a broken world. So there is a bridge that has been rebuilt for us on our behalf and makes it possible for us to enter Sabbath rest. You see, we rest, we can rest in the Lord because of the power of the resurrection. We do rest in the Lord as an act of obedience. We do rest in the Lord as an act of obedience. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 22, says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, Jesus, the one who does fill everything in every way, is Lord, is King, is the only one worthy of, of us being obedient to. And it is his gentle call that draws us close to a rest that we could never provide for ourselves. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, for those of us who call on Jesus as king, this is not a suggestion. This is a gentle command to come and be recreated. For those who don't know him, it's a gentle call into an intimate relationship of recreation and new life and rest that you could never Imagine. You see, we, we Sabbath, we can Sabbath because of the power of the resurrection. We do Sabbath, we do rest in the Lord as an act of obedience. But how does this happen? How do we do this? You see, we are recreated by Sabbath when we submit to Christ 
as Lord. Let's not even use that word submit lightly. I know that's a hard word. I know that's an uncomfortable word. I know that's a word that none of us really want to say and talk about because of what it means. We submit for a variety of reasons, but most of them are not good. We submit because we have no choice and somebody's, somebody's got control over us and we, we have to, and we have to submit. We submit because we've met the end of ourselves and there's no other way to do anything but to submit to somebody else's lead because where I'm leading didn't get me anywhere. But we also submit to people who have power over us. In a lot of situations, guys, people who have power over us, that's not a good thing. But in this situation, we have a God who loved us so much that he sent his son. And we submit not out of fear. We submit not out of being beaten down. We submit as a response to the love that has been poured out upon us. You see, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. This idea of justification means we are made right. We are, we are brought to right standing with God. It, it happens like that. It is with our heart. And when we believe that Jesus is Lord, when we believe that God raised him from the dead, we are justified. We are brought into right standing with God like that. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You see, when we do these things, we are brought into right standing with the Lord and we are saved from ourselves. You see, we experience we recreation as we choose to submit to Christ. Earlier I said that Jesus' resurrection rebuilt a bridge. It's our choice to walk across it. It's our choice to accept that that bridge was built on our behalf. There's no one that's going to drag us across. There's no one behind us with a prod that's going to make us go. There's a gentle invitation to enter the rest of Christ that's meant to draw us across and into something new. So my friends, we, we, we get to see this as we submit to Christ by taking ourselves off of thrones that were not made for us and recognizing that Christ is king of all. Confess our need, confessing our need for him and committing and to desiring and submitting to his will and his will alone. So we are recreated by Sabbath as we submit to Christ as king, to Jesus as Lord. And we are recreated by Sabbath as we embrace the rhythms of rest. You see, I said earlier that Sabbath, Sabbath is, Sabbath was, is, and will continue to be time set aside to focus on Christ. It's also, as we see in the New Testament, a very clear picture that it's also an opportunity to constantly be in his presence. And so I believe that we see through scriptures three rhythms of rest. 
And the first one is daily solitude. We get to see this in the life of Jesus. We see over and over and over again in the, in the Gospels where Jesus went away by himself to spend time with his Father. He went away. He stepped away from the disciples who were following him. He stepped away from the crowds that gathered wherever he went. And he went by himself. We even see in Scripture there were times so he could get by himself. He'd get in a boat so he could get to the other side of a lake to get away and be alone with his Father. And I, I want to I challenge you to consider using your daily time, using daily time to get alone, get alone with God. Follow the example of Jesus and allow on the daily, the recreation of Jesus, the recreated life that you have been given if you trust in him to, to come alive more and more and more by spending time with the Father. The second one of these rhythms is weekly release. You see, we see Mark 2.27 says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This means that Sabbath rest is a gift. It's a gift that was given to us freely that, that, that we don't, we never merited, but it's given to us so we can be recreated, so that we can rest in him and him alone. Now, listen, I am not saying that weekly you need to have a day where you don't do anything. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you need that, that weekly, take a day where what is the normal trappings of life get set aside and you focus on what Jesus has for you and the people who are around you. I have a friend who, um, he's an electrician. He's a, he's a friend of mine. He works hard, works long hours. And he talks about Sabbath and he's, he's just... He's passionate about this. He says, you know, I've learned. He goes, I tried to do these things where I would go and I'd work all week with my hands. And then on my Sabbath day, he goes, I'd try to, he says, I'm a craftsman by nature. He says, I try to build something and let it be my offering to Jesus. And he goes, you know what I found? He goes, it was just more work. He goes, but when I started taking time on that day to rest and Sabbath and engage with Jesus with my mind rather than my hands... He goes, I found rest in him and rejuvenation. So his encouragement, and I think it's important, is, is if we work with our mind, we Sabbath with our hands because it puts us in a different mindset. If we, sab if we work with our hands, we Sabbath with our minds because it brings us, it, it, it disrupts the normal and brings us into a place where we have to be dependent upon Jesus because it's out of the ordinary. So, so, but we, so we daily have solitude. We weekly find release. But then I told you guys that there's this thing that happens in the New Testament. Where we, but when Jesus came, died, and was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside those of us who call upon his name, there is a constant abiding that is available to every one of us. This constantly being able to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a remembrance of what has been done for us and what is consistently and continually being done in us and through us. It's being able to, even in the midst of when, like I said, that year when I was rediscovering rest, I still worked all 52 weeks, two full-time jobs and a part-time job. 
it was still being able to realize that in those moments, whether I was at work, whether I was driving somewhere, regardless of what I was doing, I could rest in the presence of the Spirit who brought me new life. And we've been given that opportunity. So the rhythms of rest are incredibly important. You see, but what happens when we embrace these rhythms? What happens when we submit? What happens when we, when we live from a place of resting in God? You see, when we rest in the Lord, we experience and show God's grace and kindness through our recreated being. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, because, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, what happens inside of us which is we get to experience the love and kindness of Christ will flow out of us as we become alive in him. It is supposed to fill us to overflowing. And so as we submit to him, we get to experience this more and more and more. I have a dear friend. He's a plumber in Bonner Springs. His name is Mike. And I want to tell you, if you bump into Mike, Jesus is going to rub off on you. Because the kindness of my friend Mike, the goodness of him, just this, this, the love that flows through him is so pronounced that it flows out of him and into the lives of the people who are around him like I've never seen before. And we are created to do this, have the same thing happen in and through us. Jesus, when he comes alive, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, there is no cap to the love and kindness of Christ. It is meant to overflow from our lives into the lives of those people who are around us because it flowed into our lives regardless of our circumstances. It can flow out of our lives and into somebody else's regardless of theirs. So when we engage, when we do this, you see, we become the recreation vehicle of God in the lives of somebody else. And friends, our teaching big idea today, I believe, wraps all of this up incredibly well. He says, we will become... I, Scratch out the word will, because we become God's recreation vehicle by submitting to his lordship and finding rest in him alone. You see, when we recognize that Jesus rebuilt a bridge that we could never rebuild ourselves, and we choose in that moment to turn from our life of sin and cross this bridge by accepting him as our Lord and submitting to him and him alone, we are recreated so that we can bring that recreation life into the lives of the people who are around us. And so the question is, are we doing that? Can it honestly be said that if someone bumps up against us, Jesus rubs off? Can it honestly be said that in all areas of our life, that the thing that rubs off and flows out of us is the love and kindness of Christ. 
My friends, if the answer to that is no, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to look at your life and say, what areas of my life have I yet to give over? What areas of my life have I yet to submit? What, area, what lies am I believing that are keeping me from engaging and embracing the love of Christ in a profound and brand new way so that I can experience a new life? John 10.10 10 calls it an abundant life. In Christ Jesus, an abundant, uh, this idea of abundance means overflowing. It's an overflowing life. What's keeping me from doing that? Today, can be the day where we give that over. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, this is great, but I've never initially taken a step towards that. My friends, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us what we do. If we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and that Christ raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Today, can be that day. Today can be the day where you get to meet Jesus in a brand new way. Today can be the day where Jesus comes alive in you and you come alive in him for the very first time. Today can be a day of recreation. There's no better day than today. Friends, I want to pray for us. And I'm going to have prayer partners on each side. If the prayer partners would go ahead and head that way, and if you've got someone that you, would, that you need to talk with, if you've got a part of your life that you have yet to hand over to Jesus, that you're living and saying, no, I'm still in control here, go talk to them. They're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to holler at you. They're not going to do anything. They're going to pray with you, and they're going to love you. But if you have yet to step into a relationship with Jesus, and today is that day, go see my friends. They want to celebrate new life with you because there's no better celebration than new life in Jesus. So let me pray. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to step away from everything that's going on around us in the world and come and hear your word. I pray, Lord, today that this was honoring to you thank you for the opportunity. I love you. Amen. Westside, I love you, but not nearly as much as our Father in heaven does. I'll see you next week. Bye now.